On this episode, we discuss a firm, SI, Tesla, and understand what happened with FBAC acquisition. For centuries, humans from all walks of life gathered around wooden tables and would graciously begin tapping their fist atop the fresh mahogany. Soon, those taps grew louder and louder, and millions around the world began to join in in unison. It was, at that moment, Pow Nation, where the story of pounding the table begins. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pounding the Table, episode 43. As mentioned, I want to just quickly touch on FMAC. They're going to be acquiring Starry, which was certainly not what we were hoping for. I personally sold that off instantly after skimming through their deck. Revenues are just way too low for me and, and way too far out. Uh, I could see them getting destroyed here after their D-SPAC. Tony, I know that you were mentioning you wanted to take a little bit stronger look, I think, before we we ultimately say pound or D-pound here. Yeah, I think there's still a play for me with that warrant arbitrage. Like, I think most SPACs, if you even look at like IonQ or you look at DNA or any of these SPACs that are current or that were currently under 10 at some point in the last like few weeks, like even ShareCare and SMFR, all of those still have like warrants over two. And so, like, I still think that there's a play to be made there because it's just based on them getting through the merger and the acquisition. However, I do, I do agree. Like, I was expecting it to be something, like, way better because of Heitzman and his, like, 76% IRR. Like, I think that he does, you know, he's very much a VC. Like, he is, like, one of the top 50 VCs in the world. And so mm-hmm. I think he goes for those early on companies that he thinks, like, need money currently to blow up. And he's been crushing. Like, it's very hard to see him pick into companies that have been losing and so that's why it's like a, a harder, I need to look in deeper kind of situation for me because like I know he's a better investor than me and everyone else on Twitter. I just need to make sure that he didn't mess up this time, but I don't think that he did. I just think that SPACs are at like at a high valuation, especially when the deals come out. I was expecting Discord and a couple other things, right. but you know, it is what it is. That's what I was going to say too. I know we had to touch on that because we've mentioned that a few times on the show. Uh, other news, NVIDIA bought OSCE. So they were founded in 2005. They specialize in formal verification. They've been working with them actually for 10 years. So this should be up and running a lot faster than other acquisitions that typically take place. Tesla had completed their shareholder meeting yesterday. In the jobs report, we saw 194,000 jobs added versus the 500,000 expected. So unemployment rates at 4.8 versus 5.1. Databricks had acquired 880 labs and NGAB CEO Alex Rodriguez joins us on pounding the table. Not today. We'll be launching that. We got to get that verified by their investor relations here this week, but we should be launching that very soon as well. And that interview is absolutely incredible. This kid is literally the next Elon Musk. So you don't want to miss that. And Tony, we're super excited, man. We got a special guest here with us today, Mr. Bus of Bus himself. Rahul, uh, you guys may know him from Twitter as Mr. Threads. 
the Threadmaster. So super excited to have him. I know he wanted to touch on Tesla a little bit with you as well. So before we jump into Stock Twits trending topics of the week, want to touch on Tesla quick? Thanks for uh, having me, Avi. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about Tesla because I saw a lot of posts last week specifically on Twitter. I posted something as well on uh, you know where they started in 2012 when they started delivering their uh, first cars. I think it was like 12K at that time and where they've come, right? Like the, everyone was like going crazy over the record numbers they kind of saw last week. And I thought Tony um, being like Mr. Tesla himself, I've learned more and more from him about Tesla and him just talking about the mission, the company, the way that they've kind of built. I mean, it's just encompassing everything that he's talked about for so many years. And I, I'd love to hear like his thoughts on where they are now and like what this means for the future, right? Because I think everyone talks about Tesla from a valuation perspective, but I mean, anyone smart knows that Tesla is more than a car company and it's clearly proven. Oh. So they've already checked the car deliveries and making and production of it and actually innovated on the the whole EV space, right? But where does it go from here and like what this means for Tesla? Because I think they're going to hit like million plus either this year or definitely next year. So I think there's so much left for what they can do. And I think there's their investor day, they had like a few cool announcements as well. So I uh, definitely wanted to hear from Tony a little bit, just because I know he's one of the most passionate people about Tesla that I've ever come yeah. across. And I think it's super cool that he was in it like very early, right? 2014, 2015. 20, yeah. Like and when I was in high school. And so honestly, like Tesla is for, like, I love SC. I love all these names, but I don't like any other company more than Tesla. And I think everyone who knows me knows that. I mean, I, I drive a Tesla and that's only because I love Tesla so much. Um, just to think like where it is today compared to where, when I was first looking at it, this stock was literally trading at like two something times sales. And now you're seeing it trade at a proper valuation because People were assuming it's a car company, like you were saying. And I think Tesla's the last thing, like it's the furthest thing from a car company. They are completely based on technology. And so like, I think you're also seeing that with NVIDIA, you know, people are like NVIDIA is now going, I know they were producing the chips and they were producing like graphics cards and stuff, but now NVIDIA is just like entering this metaverse with like their deep DPUs. And they have like, you know, everything that we've been mentioning and that Dom Rinaldi has been talking about for weeks and weeks on NVIDIA. And I was in NVIDIA like at 60 as well, pre-splits. And so like, I was very much pounding the table on that company, not being a hardware company, that company being a software and that company being a tech company. Right. And, and when I say tech, it's not like everything is kind of tech, right? Like even Caterpillar uses like technological vehicles to move stuff around with dirt. But Tesla is SpaceX or not SpaceX. They're in the the ArcX, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like they had 241,000 vehicles, right? People doubted that they'd get to a million vehicles. I doubt their like logic because I I would say they're going to go to 10,000, 10 million vehicles and and they're just going to continue to expand. But it's not even about the cars. It's never been about the cars. Tesla is a leverage bet on Elon Musk. Right. You, I wish you could buy shares in somebody's personal self, but I can't buy shares of Elon. I wish I could when SpaceX was two billion and Tesla was 30, 40 billion. And so I think Tesla is just going to use all like they have that supercomputer, which obviously they've been amalgamating tons of data for years. And so I really think that using all that data, they're going to just be creating the Tesla bot and like people laugh. But you will be buying a Tesla bot. You will. You will be ha- you will be buying a Tesla bot. I'm positive. And like, that's just, I think the way that the world's going to be working now, like my car literally got an update two days ago saying like, here you go. You can have full self-driving beta, completely full self-driving. Like I literally don't touch the wheel. I already barely touched the wheel. And so 
tell me another company where like if i get into a nissan or whatever like or a ford good they have a nice cruise control that's about it so this company's at the forefront of technology and it'll go into everything we do and musk is a trillion dollar man i've been saying that for five ten years the one thing i did want to mention too with tesla obviously i think they weathered the storm here with a lot of the chips problems that a lot of these other companies were facing right you saw in the news that you know ford was literally not able to put the cameras facing in the back you know a lot of these cars almost took a step back from where they are today because they didn't have that technology. And I think Musk, I don't know exactly what he did, but he apparently bought up a lot of these chips beforehand or something that he did that allowed them to kind of stay afloat during all of this chaos that the other car companies happen to have. That's a good point, Avi. I, I saw some tweets about how they partnered with AMD and how like they came across this chip shortage. So they definitely crushed on that perspective. But I saw a tweet actually, Tony, that you were mentioning um, that reminded me of, uh, you know, if, if you can invest in Elon himself. So people forget that, yeah, he owns Tesla and SpaceX, or he's actually the founder or CEO, but he also has Neuralink, OpenAI, and the Boring Company, right? So if you literally had like a fund that had uh, Musk as a ticker symbol or whatever, and just invest in him, it'd be probably the best investment you can make. So it's pretty insane that he has like such a vision. And I agree with you on the trillion dollar uh, part, I think his recent valuation, I, I literally was looking at it this week, was like 230 or 240 billion. Yeah, 223 billion. Yeah, 223 yeah, billion. is at 190 or 192. So the gap is getting further and further. It's um, no I remember close. last year, 2020, when he first took over Bezos, it was like a big deal. And now it's like kind of fairly common that he's the number one guy. And yeah, I think he's on his way to 1 trillion. And that's probably going to happen when he hits Mars. Yeah, I, I love that, Rahul. That's the best line I've ever heard. I mean, I, I fully agree. There's a difference between a Amazon revolutionized retail, Tesla's re revolutionizing technology. Like, nothing is better than technology. Like, Amazon is very, yeah, very much so a, like a technological company. Like, AWS is like the powerhouse moneymaker. But the margins on even their retail business is not like as incredible as I think like Neuralink is going to be or even like sending people mm -hmm. to space. And Bezos tries to send people to space. But Bezos yeah. literally can't hack. He can't hack it like Musk can hack it. Like if, if Musk ran Amazon, Amazon would be twice the valuation it is. And I fully believe that with my heart. I think the best way to put it is Amazon created something in technology that we're all come to start to like you know, really appreciate today in this day generation, but Musk has taken technology and science and combined it to create some of the best kind of innovations that we're going to see. So he's mm -hmm. clearly like the next generation leader. And I've read this before, right? Because Musk has actually studied, I believe, astrophysics, or he has this background. Yep. So it's not uncommon for him to have this technological vision. And he also started uh, that company um, X, right? But uh, he's part of the he's part of the PayPal mafia, right? It's funny that we bring yeah, up Tesla yeah. today because we're going to talk about firm, and this is all like going back to dot com era when these guys were literally starting up in Silicon Valley, and they're still crushing the world. As you guys were talking about that, it's like the Jay Z quote: "It's like I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman," and like it's it's really <laughs> true. And you were talking about Amazon; it's like Amazon built all these businesses underneath Amazon, where Elon is the parent company essentially, right? And he's got all these different companies underneath, and it's. It's pretty phenomenal to see kind of what he is doing and the production and how they've gotten those actually starting to go up to speed in, in which they need to be from a car perspective. And then as you guys are talking about, they're way, way more than just a car company. So I'll be excited to see where this goes here in the next couple of years.
Speaking of Elon, as we head over to StockTwit Central, as we mentioned before, it's an amazing place to go check out any conversations around crypto, around the stocks. Funny enough, the first news coming from StockTwits here today is around Elon Musk. He had tweeted out about Shiba Unu. He had, did a Flocku Frunk Puppy tweet earlier this week, and it absolutely blew that up as well. Facebook, obviously, you guys probably are all aware here. Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, everything was down just to kind of extrapolate on all of the drama they're seeing already within Congress. You know, Facebook yeah. is one that I always want to buy still, but Zuck just makes me like, there's something about Zuck. I yeah, just can't, I mean, like, buy it. He's cringy. <laughs> I totally, I totally feel that. Also, like, you know, I, I, I see these situations often as like really decent buy opportunities because obviously Facebook is not dead and Instagram is not dead. And you literally sent me the Zoom link to do this recording on WhatsApp. And so thinking that like people have these natural tendencies, it wasn't out long. Like if Facebook goes out for like a couple months, that's a completely different story. But like, it's like when net went out, like the entire internet shut down, like 40% mm -hmm. of the internet shut down. And then net went to like completely new all time highs because people realized how important it is. Like, I think it's different here because Facebook's already so much bigger, but I do think that like it coming down so much from its highs, as well as like the general market coming down so much, I've actually been starting to add to Facebook weirdly, right? Like I never buy things like this, but I bought Apple a couple of weeks ago because it was just an easy play for me being down 20 mm -hmm. bucks. And then like Facebook down 30 or 40 is also like an easy play for me for like, I have some leaps for earnings. Yeah, I wasn't too afraid when the whistleblower came out. It was all things that like I at least knew. Or what was interesting is when he started to hear about like the Facebook employees not getting into the office. They weren't able to like actually get it. I don't know if there's something more there underneath. It just seemed a little bit interesting timing that everything went down right at that exact same time. Right. Uh other news, Netflix, they got to their all-time high. If you haven't watched Squid Game, absolutely so hilarious. Good. So Side good. note, Vans Shoes, which is in uh, Squid Game, they apparently went up like thousands of percents in sales from that. Moderna, obviously some negative news. Unfortunately, there's myocarditis popping up a lot more frequently, especially in the younger folks. Uh, so I know I saw Sweden and Denmark are actually putting that on hold right now. Tilray, some positive reactions off of earnings. CEI, crazy price action over the last month, which is Camber Energy. I did not know that stock, but they were ripping an absolute ton this month. But then this last week dropped about 50%. Uh, and then finally here, we got Smile Direct Club, a lot of bullish sentiment. They had issued this new patent called Smile Bus. So it's almost like the Wienermobile, right? The Smile Bus is going to start traveling around, get a lot of people to come in and start to get this company branding. So people then can sign up and start to get their teeth looking real nice. So again, go to stocktwits.com, get involved in some of the best conversation around stocks and crypto. And Tony, I know you wanted to talk about crypto, especially with Ethereum. Vitaly is back at it. Ethereum 2.0. You got some news you wanted to touch on. Yeah. I mean, so I, first of all, like you guys know, like I, I've been very deep in crypto more and more recently, but it's not necessarily for, you know, the NFTs or the JPEGs. Once again, like I just want to be clear about that. That's just another layer of it that I enjoy. And it's like really new. So I'm always diving into the newest thing. But in terms of the actual infrastructure around like blockchain and cryptocurrency, we're making incredible strides. And I will continue to keep us updated because I refuse to have a podcast and not talk about Web3s. This is 1996. Like you guys get that? Like Web, this is identical. It's just 25 years later. But it's also a, a result of COVID. Like we've talked about how many times people have been locked up in, in the pandemic and like unable to leave their homes. And what do you do when you do that? Like 
you create new worlds online. Like this is when people immerse themselves in technology. And you've seen that from so many of these great tech companies, stocks coming out on the market in the last like year or so. And I think that this is just the next wave. So the big problem with Ethereum is right now that it's so high in energy consumption. And so it's expensive to do transactions. And so Ethereum 2 is the layer that we're going to be moving over to. And basically what that is, it's going to be proof of stake versus proof of work. And so proof of work, it basically means like that's what we're using it for. We're using it for the internet. We're using it to do transactions. We're doing this and that with it. Gas fees are the price to do transaction. And those are really expensive. Like it costs me $100 or so usually at the cheapest to do anything on OpenSea or to do anything in my MetaMask. And so now you're moving to ETH2. And we actually had some incredible like news developments coming up, which I thought like would take so much longer. But Vitalik is that he's like the, the founder of, of Ethereum. Like he created Ethereum. Guy's a legend. He's really making moves. He's changing it to this ETH2 layer. So Ethereum is spearheading scalability. So you mentioned Ethereum was always like proof of work. And now you're saying it's kind of moving over to a proof of stake, which is what BTC is kind of like founded on more of like the digital gold as people talked about. So right. essentially what's happening is they're, they're setting a limit now on Ethereum, right? And so the overall value of each Ethereum is going to go up over time. Is that correct? Yeah. So this is what we've been talking about for months and months on here too. What we've been having happen is like we've been burning Ethereum now. And that's been going, that's been done through transactions and stuff ever since like I think the new protocol EIP-1559, which we talked about uh, not long ago. I think that was like back in June or July. But now that we have that, we're moving on to the next layer. So the cool thing about Ethereum is it's literally like an open source internet where you just build layers and layers and layers and layers. And we're moving on to the second layer now. If, if you don't know much about crypto, just know this, that proof of stake is 99.99% more energy efficient than proof of work. So I saw this tweet and I mean, it was probably the biggest day for like Ethereum ever. I think like the Ethereum 2.0 merger interop DevNet confirmed. And so basically that just means like they're, it's going to work. Like that's pretty much what that means. Like we're moving towards ETH2 and it's just going to be one of those things where people will realize that all these inefficiencies, like in 2017, there were so many issues with Ethereum and over the years, they just get checked off. You just say, wow, like they fixed this. Okay. They've added this. And so Ethereum continues to grow. It's like as like pretty much a company. And what they're doing is like, they're making so much money in terms of fees and everything that they're able to continue to build and build and build. And it's not just by like, obviously the team, it's decentralized essentially. So all these different participants in Ethereum also get rewarded. So this merge process is continuing to accelerate. This layer two adoption is going to be exploding. Obviously, NFTs are a big part of this. And DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, are also a big part of this as well. So people are essentially doing crowdfunding and VC for projects on ETH. And now the cost of that's going to go down. So the usage will go up. But there's also a supply shock, which is going to be coming to Ethereum, in my opinion. So the supply on exchanges is near all-time lows. 28% of all Ethereum locked is in smart contracts. So that means like NFTs and other things. Over 8 million ETH is staked for 2.0 already. And ETH will have a 2% deflation post 2.0 merger. So like I said ETH 10K, I'm going to say ETH 20K now. And Rahul actually sent me a, Rahul is not even like a crypto NFT guy. He's a stock guy, but you did send me an article that was talking about ETH to 20,000. So I'm feeling real good selling all my ETH for uh, Algo the other day right now, right about now. So we'll see what happens there, but let's talk about stocks again. We have our guest of the day here, Mr. Rahul. 
talking about a firm, which many people have seen in the news recently, been absolutely crushing it this past week. So what is a firm? It's a, it's a buy now, pay later, but I, I don't know much beyond that. Yeah, no, thanks, Avi. So yeah, it's a, it's a buy now, pay later. And I initially remember the IPO coming earlier this year and I didn't really look at it. And I was um, pretty skeptical on it just because of the concentration risk that I ran with uh, like Peloton being its biggest customer or at least one of its biggest customers, right? So um, one of the biggest things for me was I wanted to see uh, what can they do once they're like kind of public and what other partnerships are they going to announce, right? Is this a one-trick pony or is it something that's actually going to expand and grow above what it's already become at that point, right? So starting off, I think it's really important to highlight with the founder and who the founder is, right? How did a firm start before we get into like what a firm does and what it's going to do and what makes it a stock to look at going forward, right? So a firm was started by a Max Levchin and earlier I mentioned um, the whole PayPal mafia reference, right? So Max started a firm like way after he started PayPal, right? So he started PayPal in 1999, he was actually the CTO or the engineer or like whatever you want to call it, right? Behind PayPal, right? So Peter Thiel and Max collaborated. They then recruited probably the sickest workforce ever made in mankind, uh, brought PayPal public, right? So he was in FinTech. He actually was a big part uh, in the engineering part of it. So he was actually like, you know, the one that was really trying to prevent fraud and come up with ways to kind of make sure that PayPal survives. Because at that time, there was a lot of hacking going on and they were getting hit with fraud attacks like nonstop, right? I was reading a story. They were six weeks away from actually being like out of money and they were like done, right? So, and it wasn't about like, they couldn't access capital. Like, these guys were in Silicon Valley. They were doing well. Um, they could access the capital, but the, the problem they were having was the engineering aspect. I mean, this is dot-com era, right? This is not uh, where we are today, right? So the way you were getting hacked and there was no CrowdStrike, there was no CloudFair, right? This was literally like Max was trying to prevent this type of, this level of hacking, right? That was still happening back then as it is now, right? So he ended up kind of coming up with a way to keep the company afloat and they ended up crushing, right? And story, the history where PayPal kind of in, originated from and like it kept on going from there. So uh, the reason it's important to bring that up is because Max actually left and then he went, it up, he went and founded a couple other companies, this company called Glow and this other company called Slide. And I believe Slide he sold to Google um, and he became like VP of engineering at Google for a couple of years. But this guy's a he's a he's a builder, right? He's a technologist by heart, um, and he realized that he wanted to kind of get back into founding something else, which I found pretty exciting, right? So a lot of people talk about like founder-led companies, and this is the this is the type of passion you want to see, right? This guy created PayPal, then he ended up starting a couple more companies. He's a billionaire at this point, right? He could stop. He can stop right here, keep investing. He actually invested in Pinterest early, invested in Yammer, invested in a multitude of other startups, right? So he didn't need to keep going. But I think late age, he was like late 30s or early 40s, he realized that he wanted to kind of get back into uh, fintech, right? So him and his wife were talking and she, she's the one that actually kind of triggered the idea and it said, saying that, um, you know, you were happiest when you were at PayPal, even though it was the time you were most flustered or having the hardest time in like your career because there was a lot to kind of unpack there. So he then, similar to like kind of the PayPal mafia days, went and started talking to some very smart dudes and trying to figure out like, what does he want to do in FinTech, right? And that's how a firm was born. Because they started, they literally went on a whiteboard and started sketching out the different components in FinTech. And they realized the credit score and how like it impacts your credit, right? And he shared a cool story where he said, even after PayPal became public and he's like a well-known person, he has like, you know, decent net worth at that point, he still had to have uh, another employee, this guy named Luke, 
uh, who was with them pretty early to sign off on a loan for a car because his credit was impacted from credit card days he had. He's, a, he's an immigrant, right? So he came from another country to America to study. And he had this credit card debt that hit him at college. So uh, he understood the impact that this can have on you. So he started doing some research and where do you want to go? What do you want to do uh, in fintech? And what's the next step here, right? So he came mm-hmm. up with a credit card score and he started talking to lending agencies and he realized that there's more to it. He can get them to kind of adapt to this new score that they've come up with. But what's like the real big pain point here, right? Like how do people get into this debt? What challenges do they come across when they're actually trying to you know, purchase something and like, how does it like bog them down? Right. So mm-hmm. he came across the whole point of sale system, right? So POS, right. So these are the credit cards. You go to Macy's, you go to Lord and Taylor, you go to Nordstrom, you see that sign at the, like right where you're paying at the kiosk and you have the, like the person ask you like, Hey, would you like to open a card? You end up saying no, because that's what you're taught to do. Why do you say no though? Why do you not want to open that credit card? You don't want to open that credit card because of the way it's structured, right? It's structured to lure you in and lose money. Their whole goal, if you read the fine print, is when you're late, the entire structure of the car changes, right? So it starts at 0%, but ends up going to 20, 30, 40%, and it compounds interest over time. And these are banks that are not like the well-known banks that are affiliated with major credit cards, right? So if you look at the banks that are kind of partnered with these store cards per se, they're not the ones that are like partnered with many other bigger well-known credit cards. So he realized that this was a big pain point in like, you know, retail experience. And he understood the impact it can have on you as a person, as I mentioned, the PayPal story. And he also started a company years ago called PayPal, right? So he understood the fintech space really well. And that's how a firm had started. And that's how it became this whole buy now, pay later company, right? It's not just something he did to, and it's really important to understand the story because um, it'll add to the points and how they're innovating, right? Because he focuses on the customer. His whole goal in a firm is not to charge you fees. It's to actually pay off what you're mm-hmm. purchasing in smaller increments, right? So they're not here to make money on those late fees or those hidden kind of fees that you don't actually end up seeing. Um, they're actually here to kind of make sure the customer or the consumer is able to pay off their debt, right? So I was reading this uh, stat that I, I thought was super interesting, right? Shoppers average... higher order value on average and 20% higher repeat purchase rate compared to other retail channels channels that a firm partners with, right? So this is not a company that's here to like hurt their customer. They're they're built to become customer centric, right? I think that's the second point I'd really like to highlight, right? Like I really enjoy the fact that they're driven to make people's lives better, right? That's, Mm -hmm. That's part of their mission. That's part of their vision that Max has. And people talk about like founder led companies all the time, but being founder-led and being customer-driven is, is super important, right? Understanding who Max is, who, where his background comes from. Like, this is literally PayPal 2.0 um, 20 years later, right? He's, he did it in the dot-com era, and now he's doing it kind of all again. Yeah, I really do think that a firm is setting up to be like, it, it, it's giving me head of the table Square vibes, you know? And I think that you just saw, like you were saying, like Square paid for Afterpay so much money. It was like 20, some 28, 29 billion. And so like, you're going to be able to see that these companies will assess that higher valuation for themselves, like you were saying earlier. So I really think that we're on this new wave. And if you think about like, you know, this, this buy now, pay, pay later kind of situation, it's just, we have so much liquidity sloshing around that people are buying and people are doing and using more than they can afford currently. So like, 
maybe this is going to be, you know, not the best thing for people. Like I, I personally only have one credit card with a super, super like low balance on purpose because I have zero ability to not max my credit card out. But I think that for a lot of people who are just buying necessity, like items that they need, like maybe you're buying a dishwasher, maybe you're buying, you know, like actually not stupid things. Like sometimes I buy it and I, that's literally why I have the credit card just to make sure I can't spend too much on bad things. But I think that a firm is going to be one of those maybe head of the tables in the future. It's been running like crazy, right? So I was just looking in August kind of 27th was when it just skyrocketed from 67.90 to now it's 141.19. So over a hundred percent in, you know, a couple months here, like, how do you look at that? So actually before Tony kind of jumps in, there's a couple of things I did want to highlight on that point, Robbie, right? Because I actually took a position earlier this week. So it's not like I was early. It's not like I was before a lot of like people that actually ended up buying in August or previous to that. Right. So I think the biggest thing for me was, like I said earlier in the episode is about the fact that what are they doing, right? Like, how are they going to expand and what are they going to do after they became public? And one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things I saw was the partnerships, right? And I think this actually helped their valuation a lot, right? You saw Amazon, you saw Shopify, you saw Walmart, you saw Apple, you saw Target, right? Um, And shout out to this uh, account here on, on Twitter, David Marlin, he has this interesting chart on how these partnerships actually give them exposure to over 60% of e-commerce or U.S. retail, right? In some way, shape or form, right? So that's probably not even fully baked in, even though you can argue that the stock is kind of ran based on that news, but we still need to see the numbers, right? How many more consumers does that bring in? How does that help the bottom line? And I think the second point, as Tony mentioned, is square buying afterpay, I think in my mind already sets a benchmark for a firm is, you know, if it's 29 billion or whatever you want to put it at, and that's where it is kind of right now, right? It's at 37 or 38 billion at Friday's close. So I think those two points really helped the stock. And I still think there's a lot more to it because I want to talk about the new products that they're going to kind of feature or kind of drive yeah. going forward. You got the name recognition. I think a firm is a pretty well-known name. The guy came from PayPal. I still am, I guess, a little unclear in terms of like how they make money. Is there interest rates involved? Is it similar to a credit card or I guess, how does that differ and how do, how do they make money overall? So, so you do still have interest, right? You're still going to pay interest. It's a loan you're taking out, but it's not like a credit card has the hidden fees, late charge fees, right? They have a different structure where it's purely like if you take longer than your nest, like needed time, then yeah, of course you can have some interest and that's part of their kind of like fee or profit that they're going to make. But again, this payment schedule is given to you when you're at the checkout. There's no like fine print to kind of charge you something hidden, right? You know exactly like a Peloton, you're paying for X number of years and you're paying like 30, 40 bucks a year and you're paying that across a time schedule, right? So as long as you're on time with that and this is kind of, clearly defined to you, right? I think that's a key thing to understand, right? Whereas other credit card companies, there's a lot more that's going on behind the scenes than people normally understand. And that's what kind of eats them up. But I think the mm-hmm. second point in, in how they generate income is what I'm more interested in because with any type of lending facility, you're going to have interest, right? So whether that's good for a consumer or not can be debated. I think these guys are doing a good job of being very clear and articulate in what a consumer is responsible for. But I think the mm-hmm. second point is really important, right? So the partnerships I just briefly mentioned, not only does that expose them to a lot more retailers, what that does is it drives their GMV, right? So gross merchandise volume. And what that means is the amount of transactions or volume of payments taking place on these retailers, they're going to get a fee of that, right? So 
as these people like put up a firm on their sites with their products linked to it, like think about the amount of Peloton bikes have been sold, right? So the fees that they're going to take off that, but not to mention the TVs that Walmart sells on Black Friday or the black uh, the shopping you do on Amazon on Cyber mm-hmm. Monday or Target, right? Like, and Apple, for example, right? These are Expedia. These are other partners that they have. So I think that was a big point for me to see how they grew their partnerships because at first I thought they were a bit concentrated, right? So I think that's, this GMV volume that they're going to have this year, I think the numbers only continue to grow. And I think the market's already anticipating that in front of Thanksgiving, in front of Christmas, they know that these are big, big time retailers and you're going to mm-hmm. expect better GMV volume. So naturally the revenue is going to get better, right? So it's, and to mention a Square already bought Afterpay. So you're seeing bigger fintech companies already recognize the need for this buy now, pay later. It's not just a fad. And you're mm-hmm. seeing the, the fact that this is going to only accelerate going forward and the firm's going to be a leader in it, right? And there's another point I want to talk about with their products. But if there's anything you want to add there, please do. I, I just, I had a, sorry, I had a real quick question. So you, who are their landmark customers? So you mentioned like, I think you said Walmart, was it Amazon? Who, who, who's their main customers right now? So these are the new ones, right? So this is what's really, I think, drove like the stock price recently is they had a new partnership with Walmart, a new one with Target. Um, Shopify is another one and Amazon was the big recent one, right? This all happened this wow. year, right? So this is not something that was like put in their S1 when they're coming IPO. And that's the reason I didn't really fully pay attention because I think that was, that was, I think a general consensus across FinTwit or just the financial community was that, uh, we don't know if they're, if other like retailers are going to be willing to actually accept their technology and go with it, right? And I think one thing we've learned is this is not simple technology to integrate, right? I mean, there's a reason Square paid $29 billion for Afterpay or, you know, if it was that simple, why wouldn't they not create it themselves, right? So I think there's a lot we've seen in the past five, six months, and that's why I'm happy to start the position now, even though it's closer to its highs, and I'm sure there's going to be pullback, and if there is, good. If there isn't, you know, you're happy you're in at a certain price point, right? This momentum that you're seeing now, it gives me more confidence and what's going to happen in the future, right? Not to mention the way Max has talked about the whole super app and new products he wants to roll out, which I definitely want to highlight one of them because I think there's a lot. And I mean, some of these are far from coming anytime sooner, but there's one product particularly that I find super interesting. I think it just shows the companies innovating on what's being innovated on, right? Right. And they came out with a debit card, I believe, recently as well. That's, which is the, exciting. that's the product. That's the one I want to talk oh, okay. about, right? Called this thing called debit plus, right? So think about it this way, right? If you're you're Avi Mash, you're Tony, you have bank accounts, right? The one thing you do not want to do is close your account and move to another bank, right? It's a hassle. People don't like dealing with it. They're very comfortable. Like for example, if you use Chase and you have the Chase Sapphire Reserve Card, everything's linked into one system, one ecosystem, and you like the way it's set up and you don't want to move, right? Um, so what one thing that Max an, announced in his uh, recent investor day, and shout out to uh, Double Double Kotecha, um, who actually wrote a really sick thread on this and actually really caught my attention and kind of pushed me to look into a firm further, was this whole Affirm Debit Plus card, right? So think of it this way. You don't close your account. You still have your Chase account. But you have this new debit card through a firm. It links with your existing bank account, right? And then have a background app for this or think of like a super app coming in the making, right? Where um, now when you pay for something, any brick and mortar uh, like retailer or online store, uh, you can literally turn that into a buy now, pay later through a firm, right? So forget all the partnerships that they already have, right? 
you can convert any purchase into this buy now, pay later kind of ecosystem. And they're also going to have an app that promotes a lot more shopping experiences. So mm-hmm. they're going to create this ecosystem or this next generation banking app, if you want to call it, where you're going to be able to do buy now, pay later on any product you want to purchase. They're going to have partnerships with these other retailers yeah. or companies that are already kind of you know, in, in the world. Um, also, they're going to have crypto on their product they've talked about, right? So, I mean, I think there's a lot that they can do. And I think the reason I think it's important to highlight this debit card is not just because it's it's super creative and cool, but it's, again, delighting the customer, right? They're being customer-centric. Right. Right? We understand that customer doesn't want to close their bank account. So what can we do technologically to actually bring them to us without them having to leave what they already work with? Right. You're alluding to their home screen, all of the different retailers that then allow a firm pay. And that could almost come as an affiliate yep. type of a play, right? Like yep. an eBay, it's almost. They're, they're doing that. That's part of that whole super app thing. And the reason I don't want to talk too much about super app, because I think it's a, it's almost like calling something the Amazon or something, right? Like everyone's kind of thrown around this super app thing you see with like uh, Grab trying to do that with SC and Southeast mm. Asia, right? So Uber. I don't want to just call something a super app till I really see it till it's really proven. That's why I only want to highlight that one piece of the super app because I found that piece to be super attractive in terms of like, wow, like this could actually be uh, something that a customer would be willing to kind of spend on, right? So think about making a purchase um, that costs like, you know, a few grand and it's not mm. a firm partnered already, right? Now you have this card, boom, becomes buy now, pay later. And if you're doing this with multiple products, you want to stick with the same lending facility, right? Like my parents bought a couch uh, earlier this year and they had to open a new account to actually kind of get that loan and finance it over mm-hmm. how many ever months, right? So if you can do that all in one place and then you have these affiliate products or these big retailers that you can shop a firm with, I mean, just think about like how, what that can become, right? So as Tony mentioned, like this has the makings of a head of the table. I mean, they clearly have to execute, right? There's a lot left. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm paying for. I'm paying for that story that's left from here, not where they've already come. Cause I missed that initial run or this run that we've had since August. Yeah. And the environment is so ripe. I mean, we talked about this earlier. Think about how this ties into people that have been unemployed, right? They may not have the money to buy something today. They're thinking in their head, Hey, I'm going to get a job in a few weeks, few months or whatnot. So like I'll pay later, you know? And But I, I really do think that the environment, our generation, unfortunately does not save a lot of money. They do have credit card debt. And so they are forced to use things such as a firm. And, you know, I know even on my Amex, you can, if you have the option to like spread out payments. So you see this kind of trend happening and the fact that yep. they're working with some of the big boys, that's going to just help them to continue to grow into other customers because they, these other customers are wondering, okay, obviously target Walmart, you know, Amazon, they had the, every single option and they chose a firm, right? So they, they did their due diligence. And like you mentioned, the whole spending thing, I think the stat I, I, I just highlighted, but I want to like talk about it once more is because you talk about spending shoppers average, Avi, 85% higher order value when they're using a firm because the payment wow. looks less, right? So think about the psychological level. If it's $3,000 broken into how many ever totally. months you're paying and it's only $30, $40 you're going to have to pay now, you're like, all right, maybe I can afford something else or you want to like upgrade that product or do whatever else you want to, right? Think of a car, right? Think of like Tesla buying Tesla. Think of a Tesla partnering with a firm, right? Like in the features you start adding because you're like, oh, like this is actually not going to cost me that much per month. So dude, like, I think there's like a lot. And, and this is something I like seeing, like I'm seeing Max kind of execute, right? They brought the company public. 
they they've delivered uh, in terms of like their quarter over quarter since they've become public but they've also shown us the ability to scale and innovate right and that's that's you want to bet on a founder led passionate driven individual and who else better to bet on than someone that created PayPal to go up against PayPal right like this is literally like one of the best stories in the making if they actually kind of become that you know futuristic uh, head of the table if you want to call it turning this into like the voice so you just got the pound i turned around <laughs> I'm on a firm now. I, I like it. You got you got Avi to pound. Yeah, I'm here too. I'm, I'm here Tony too. turned around like the voice. You have a double pound in my first yeah, you've got a double pound. My only thing is that like obviously the price is quite high right now, but I think that like price because of good news is huge. There's also like a lot of play with options. Like people are slamming calls, and that's like causing yeah. the stock to rip as well. So there's like as we always say, there's other factors. Like we talked about apps in the Chris Peruna episode, and that got ripped up really hard recently off that 44 VWAP because of the institutions getting into it because it got added to the mid cap 400 and the S&P like mid cap S&P 400. And so they slammed apps because they like part of their mandate, like they follow the indices and stuff. So a firm, I, I don't know, is a firm right now currently in uh, the NASDAQ or anything, Rahul? Uh, that's a good point. Let me, I'll have to double check that. Because I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so I'm sure. Hopefully not, because like that just adds to the, you know, like the next layer of where it can move. And so that's like kind of what makes ahead of the table ahead of a table. Like you see SC every quarter, new funds got into it. And as much as people want to say like the companies go up because of how good the companies are, it's definitely not necessarily like a chicken in the egg. It is a chicken in the egg situation. It's not like straight up because if a company is super sick, then people take notice and then that company gets money. And so the company can be even sicker, right? That's why I always say you have to get better to get better. And that really, you can see that every day with stocks, like a company crushes earnings or they get these partnerships. And then it's been funds buying it. Like you've been saying, it's not the, it is a lot of retail, but those huge block orders are all big institutions taking sizable positions. Yeah. So I, the only flag I'd have just real quick, Rowan, and, and I don't know if you, thought about this i'd imagine right it's a pretty crowded space you mentioned square had bought Afterpay, right and there's only so much real estate on a checkout for brands so they have to make a decision they can't have paypal a firm credit cards venmo a million things like it would just get way too crowded you know you do see a little bit more and more happening but do you worry that you know paypal comes out with something similar other companies just continue to go in the space offering it for cheaper for brands I mean, I honestly don't worry too much just because, I mean, like I said earlier, right, if, if it was that simple, Square could have done it themselves, right? I think they clearly, I mean, this is not simple technology to just roll out, right? You're talking mm-hmm. about lending money, which is a highly regulated industry, number one. Number two, you're talking about integrating with the APIs of, so you're talking Stripe here in, in a way, right? The like orders the, too, yeah. the internet, right? So you have the technology component, you have the lending facility component, not to mention the user experience, right? So like, do you as a user actually just trust, like, yeah, you could trust like PayPal doing it, but like, there's not that much room for some new person to just come out of like Joe Schmo and say, here's a lending facility, boom, here, give me the money and let me kind of partner with so-and-so company, right? So yeah, of course, you're always going to have competition with PayPal and Square and even like some of these like legacy banks, right? Whether that be JP Morgan, um, or any other big bank, right? So I think the competition is there and I think the competition's here to stay. So like I said, right, I think the buy now, pay later piece of it wasn't 
exactly what really brought me to the company, right? That's re- the reason I wasn't really paying attention to it when it IPO'd. My thing was, what can they do? So sec- first thing was they can expand on their partnership. So we haven't even seen that, Avi, in, into their numbers yet, right? And we need to see how that kind of actually goes into their like bottom mm-hmm. line. And second, what more products can they actually build, right? So, I mean... I have no concern with someone like Max thinking about how PayPal works. He, he made PayPal, right? So he knows how PayPal's thinking, what it right. works, what's his system. He's well connected there. Um, I would be more concerned about Square, right? Square actually integrating Afterpay and then you having this like one and two, two and one, like Afterpay versus uh, uh, Affirm. And you also have this other company called Klarna, right? So yeah, the space is crowded. And, and like I said, I think you're paying on, what innovations they bring forward with these other app, like features or developments that they're mm-hmm. bringing through the applications, how their partnerships kind of continue to expand and roll into their uh, financials. And also, you know, what more can they do from here? Right? I think there's, there's clearly like they have to kind of expand beyond what they've already done. Um, so, but one thing I do like, I think they've set the benchmark for buy now, pay later, and they've clearly proven like this is not a fat, right? This is not something that's going to go away. So you're, you're not going to see something that's just going to tank 50%, I would say, right? Again, again, I'm not calling that. I mean, who knows what can happen? The stock, stock market's unpredictable, but um, I do think funds are buying this thing up. And I think people are excited to see how the next couple of quarters go, right? This is not something that... I would say here, perfect price to buy right now. It's something you look at. I mean, I pick a starter position and you kind of see how they kind of execute going forward, right? I mean, but funds backing it, them performing, them partnering with some big scale retailers. I think those are all ripe for like, this reminds me of Cloudflare, right? When they actually partnered mm-hmm. with NVIDIA a few months ago. Like literally that's what drove me into it. Like thinking about, okay, wait, what, what's going on? What's Cloudflare doing, right? Like these are the types of things companies do and they expand upon them and they actually execute that actually drive companies forward. So I just want to take a look at some of the other ones you mentioned Afterpay, obviously Klarna is another, uh, Sezzle's a new one out of my home state of Minnesota. So they're in the mix as well, but this whole space is just blowing up, right? The percentage of Gen Zers taken from a Forbes article here has grown sixfold from 6% to 2019 to 36% in 2021. So we were right on the money here. Like millennials are going to be using this and you know, if it didn't exist before, people weren't going to be using it. So yeah, I wanted just to touch on some of the big highlights here that I'm seeing. Uh, again, from this Forbes article, Amazon and a firm partner, as you mentioned, PayPal is going to stop charging late fees for buy now, pay later payments. Square, as you mentioned, had acquired Afterpay. Apple is actually going to be announcing their own BNPL offering as well. And so, as I mentioned, you know, th- there's a lot of noise in the space. This is a very, very hot topic right now. And so, you know, I always try to do like a little zig where they zag contrarian. So just going back, Tony, I know we, we heard from Rahul and like he just bought recently. So he's not afraid of the little dips that may come. He's buying long term, but you more so as a, as a trader, do you have a different take on this? Like, would you wait for a pullback before you get back in? I mean, I think that growth still has to run. I think that we've just began bouncing. Like Roku was sub 300, it went over 300 and started having some flows, SE as well. Um, but SE and Mealy have been getting wrecked just because the dollar has been spiking and people are worried about, like when people get worried about debts and like the, the US dollar spikes like crazy, those international names get completely wrecked. And so I think a firm is obviously not an issue for that because if you're a FinTech company and you're especially doing buy now, pay later, you're getting like, Things are paid in dollars, right? It's not crypto yet, but things are getting paid in dollars. So it's insulated from a lot. So I think that because of the flows, because of the news, like I'm still actively trading it. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see it keep running up 
but I just don't know if it's like, I, I haven't dug into it fully enough myself. Like I've been watching it from a trading perspective. I do know that the company, I really like the company, like it might be ahead of the table, but the thing about it is like, if you're looking for like a long-term investment, I'm a VWAP guy. Right. So like I love, and I, I love news. I love all this hype and, and stuff, but knowing what I know is that like majority of the time the VWAP gets hit. And so like, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be because of a real reason. Like DNA was spiking like crazy, you know, like, uh, was it at Ginkgo Bioworks went to like 1250 and then a short report took it to the nines. And so there's always things that, and I, I feel like a firm, like I'm going to call it now is pretty ripe for a short report or something just because people like to do it around the times that all the hype is there so they can maximize the short. But I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I just say that like, this is like the potential of things when it's really, really high up. It's like, that's why I wait for the VWAP because you don't know why it's going back to the VWAP if it does, but at some point it will go back to the VWAP. So I, I'll wait for whenever that is. I feel like you're like at a pseudo name coming up with a short report. You're like, yeah, I feel like something's coming up uh, on Monday. Yeah, like Wolfpack. My name is Wolfpack. Uh, <laughs> you, I specifically you target. Entire time. <laughs> yeah, I specifically target all of Anthony O'Hein's uh, holdings, as he says publicly on Twitter. Whatever. Uh, we, we took a lot of the time off here with the firms. This is kind of becoming a, a firm show, you know, before we get into earnings. I know you did want to just quickly touch on uh, SI, Silvergate. So you want to? Wait, Avi, what do you mean touch on Silvergate? Dude, you do remember you actually called it as a mini monster at $37. So it's not something you're bringing up for the first time. I would like to think of it as a mini monster is becoming a monster, Tony. It sounds like there's a lot Bro, more news yeah <laughs> you're the pounder man <laughs> you know i love that did. yeah amazing. dude i bought it at 37 bucks because of you guys and it's like i think you were i was talking to you earlier and you like you i think you might have forgotten i sold it. mine yeah, yeah. So, yeah no i sold again, it again it's at like 140 like, now i sold it too and i, I mean i was just you know I, I sold it in the hundreds but the thing was about like you know there's a lot that's been talked about last year that you guys absolutely crushed and i think with a lot of intuit people get very emotional and um, personal sometimes but there's a lot to appreciate with what has been talked about and i think we've kind of come a long way from like this fintwit community that's been built but also pounding the table like you know it's been doing great yeah rahul and i do love the fact that like you remembered silvergate at 37 because it's one of the names that i sold out of recently like i sold out of it um yeah i think like a couple of months back like in the hundreds or so and i i regretted it the whole time because as soon as i sold it then it spiked to like almost 200 but now it's like, I think it was chilling around 160, went to all time highs. And a lot of that, I believe was like, there was a lot of short interest and it was like finally breaking out of a super long base, but it's not one of those companies that like, oh, let's see if it works out. Like it really is just so well in tandem with all the, the hype that's going on around cryptocurrency, but it's also not hype. Like, I'll say this again, until people completely realize it is web three, it is 1996 in here. Okay. We have like four or five years before things really like start catching on. Like people well, what about the, the, what's the Facebook news. Yeah. Well, yeah. Silvergate. The, the reason, so, uh, it was Riley brought up the, the Facebook, obviously this is massive news, but he is the one that sent it to me. They have a huge partnership with Facebook. Yeah. So, I mean, like just to run it back on what Silvergate is, it's just like a traditional bank that bet on the widespread adoption of blockchain and cryptocurrencies a couple of years ago. And like they built out this Silvergate exchange network, which we've mentioned on another pod. Like, we, and we'll list it in the description just if you guys want to check out our full deep dive. So we don't have enough time to talk about it again here. But just like quick, quick overglance of what it does. It's this network that does payments, lending, and funding. So as we just talked about, a firm like SI is the blockchain affirm. It, it's not about the BNPL, but it's just in terms of like 
things are happening so quickly in this fintech space that you, you'd be remiss to not understand that Web3 will be the biggest winner of it all. Like, do, do I think SI, do I think that like these Web3 plays will be better returns than Affirm or Square or everything? Absolutely. So they do payments, lending and funding. They have stable coin infrastructure, FX and cash management in terms of payments. For lending, they have SE and leverage and asset management. And then for funding, they have digital asset custody and deposit account services. So they're essentially your blockchain bank. And they're working with all these different companies now to just completely push the agenda of blockchain further and further and further. And so just to think logically that like, once again, 35% of the US dollars have been printed in the last 12 months. And once again, like millions and billions of dollars get unaccounted for and get burned and then we get printed and then this and that. And so thinking like, we're clearly going to be moving towards this blockchain every single day for the next 10 years and then further than that. And also thinking like all your products and services are like your Louis bag, your Birkin bag and stuff can be replicated and frauded, whereas blockchain doesn't let that happen. And I'm using that example to talk about financial instruments. Like you can get scammed and screwed in a lot of financial instruments and thinking that like blockchain helps you not do that is pretty incredible. And so Silvergate's just facilitating making it more mainstream adoption for these big companies and for like ourselves personally. You get my wife very excited over here talking about these Birkin bags. <laughs> Let's jump into earnings. And then we're going to actually have Rahul this week do the weekly wrap up. So really nothing at all. Monday, Tuesday, really nothing big. But then Wednesday, we got JP Morgan, Delta, BlackRock, Infosys. And then on Thursday, we got Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank. We have Domino's Pizza, Morgan Stanley, US Bank. Friday, we got Goldman Sachs, PNC, Charles Schwab. Big, big bank week coming up. Anything specifically, Tony, that we should watch for as traders, investors this week when it is a bank earnings week? Yeah. I mean, obviously, banks are such a big part of the indices, especially the run. So, so you're going to want to be able to see you know, these banks perform well. But I also think that like, it, there is something to say for seeing how you know, if the big fangs and like banks and other cyclicals and value names like come down a little bit. It'll definitely take the markets down, but like I wonder if money will flow into these growth names again. Because thinking about Twilio here at like 300 and Roku here at 300, and and like you know all these names that we like know and love that are at Matt Mealy at f- almost 1400, these massive discounts because of the last month or so. I think that those are pretty much like that's where like I've been allocating more of my money. Like those are the opportunities that I see moving forward. Just because like I'm aware that the market could drop down. But I'm also aware that like, if you start looking at those fundamentals for those companies, it's beginning to get cheap. Awesome. All right. As always, we say, Tony, wrap it up. As we said, we have Rahul on the show. So before Rahul, I kick it over to you. I do got to give a quick special shout out to Jesse, uh, my boy. He gave that to us at like 60 with the firm. So I had to uh, give you a quick shout out before we kick it over to Mr. Bussa Bus, a.k.a. Rahul. <laughs> Rahul, so t- just real quickly, I know you've probably listened to many of the podcasts. You were a pounder before you came on. So I did want to give you the mic to kind of just talk about like what the FinTwit community has meant to you. You've been listening to us, I think, since episode one or two. So how have you seen it like shift and, and anything you want to just mention? I know it's gotten a little dicey. It feels like a little bit of, you know, toxic and people are talking constantly. So Tony had his little rant several, several weeks ago, but just talk to us about how you see Fintwit change and and where we can go from here. Yeah, I think the biggest change that's happened is um, in 2020, things were a lot easier and there's been a lot more challenge in investing in 2021. And what's happened is 
people that were talking on FinTwit in 2020 have actually naturally grown. So there's more accounts, a lot more people that have analysis. And I think you're just seeing a lot more noise and just some unfortunate negativity. I mean, I try to stay away from it as much as I can. I mean, I've gained a lot from the people I've spoken to on FinTwit. I mean, especially you and Tony as well, um, just working with Pounding the Table, becoming this, like, you know, started as a listener and then kind of join and work with like the pounding team. And I think there's a lot of value to add and a lot to be done and can be made out of Fintwit. I just think people get too drawn up on certain profits and losses or get very personal on certain stocks or personal like things that are kind of happening, affecting their portfolios. But I think everyone just needs to kind of sit back, like enjoy that where we are, right? I think I always like harping on, you know, you want to look at where, where you've come not where you want to go because that makes you appreciate, uh, you know, how much that has happened in, you know, your past or where you are currently and how you got there. I really enjoy appreciating that. And I think I remember in 2020, I like I would tweet at Tony, right. And ask him about random stocks. And this is when my account was much smaller and, you know, I didn't really have that type of following or I don't even know what these followers mean, right? Like it's just a number. We're on keyboards and we're just normal people and that's what it should be. Right. So, um, I think that's that's the coolest part, right? The opportunity to learn from others. Like I'm talking about firm today, but it's not something that I like was an early on. It's not something that I haven't used FinTwit on. You can literally use FinTwit to actually make the most of it, right? Like I was mm-hmm. reading empty capitals thread on a firm. I mean, Double wrote a sick thread on a firm. Like you mentioned, uh, Jesse talked about it at 60. Marlin Capital had some charts on it. Um, so there's a lot of good in this community. It's just what you make of it. And I think that's what Pounding the Table is here is for, right? It's to build this community of people and pounders that are actually going to kind of enjoy and engage with the financial stock markets and crypto, right? It's like where, mm-hmm. where whatever innovation is happening, it's something that you want to talk about. And we're here to provide that research, but it's ultimately your decision of where, where you kind of go from that. Mm-hmm. It can make me cry, man. And I think that you brought up a huge point and then we'll wrap it up is, you know, we are in this together. And, and me, I know me and Tony joked a few weeks back about like SEMA 4 versus ShareCare, but like you can have both. I have both, right? Like you can you can all own the same stock. You don't need to be married to the similar stock. You fall in love with a stock. You know, that's an easy way to get crushed. I've certainly done it myself, but, you know, be like water, be fluid, be aware and, and use FinTwit, you know, to your advantage. There is so much breaking news, but always double check, you know, and validate a few sources, right? Don't just trust some random person on Twitter. Don't just trust us, as we always say, like always go back, do your own due diligence and together we can make this a wonderful world. And with that being said, Pounders, I've lost my job and we'll be back next week for another episode of Pounding the Table. And Rahul, real quick, one last thing. Congrats on 5,000, buddy. That's a huge accomplishment. 5,000 Twitter followers. If you do not follow Rahul, give him a follow. Kid's got threads. Kid's got everything going on. Most importantly, you're a great person, Rahul. So happy to have you on today. And we will be back next week. Keep an eye out for this interview with Embark CEO, Alex Rodriguez. Uh, Other than that, we will be back next week. All right, guys. Well, it's nice to know that I've completely lost my job. Uh, I'll see you guys. It's okay, bro. I just I just staked us uh, more crypto, so I'm good. Yeah, that show was like sick. It's like our party this is so fun. Yeah.
well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in Brickle with the tribe. Shawty sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce for the rice. I just peel off with the light, took her heels off for the ride. Don't say real talk, it's a lie. I'm a real one, I provide, yeah. Drip on a hundred.